Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times, and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson, and I've got a really fun guest with me tonight, uh, Terry Tucker. And Terry Tucker is um, somebody that I connected with through LinkedIn. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm just kind of like, I'm drawn towards those people in life that just live like high energy and, and they, they care to find others to lift up and motivate and try and inspire and really, really, in a sense, lift others up. And, and Terry and I connected through LinkedIn as I started reading about Terry and, and he filled out the questionnaire that I send all my guests. Um, I thought, holy cow, this guy's got quite a story. But what's interesting, like many other stories that I've had on my podcast previously, um, someone who's energetic and full of life and, and full of that, that desire and purpose and passion if you really sit down and you listen to their story, there are, there are difficult times. There are hard times. And I, and I think you're going to find that from Terry. I mean, this guy played D1 basketball in South Carolina for the Citadel. He played against Michael Jordan. And then the, the next year after he played Michael, he played against Jimmy Valvano. And those two went on to win championships after they played this guy. So it's like people had to win, you know, play through Terry Tucker to get a championship. So kind of fun part of the story. Um, but man, uh, cancer fighter, just like, just battled, uh, throughout his life and, and had some, some hard things happen to him. But at the same time, like when that happens, he's risen up and he's, he's dedicated his life to really trying to find people to uplift and put information out into the world that lifts people up and helps people understand that they can do it. They can do it. Everyone's good enough. And we have the ability to really do whatever we choose to do if we want it bad enough and we, we find ourselves on purpose. So anyway, that said, uh, Terry Tucker, my six foot eight friend who played D1 basketball, which Terry, that's my sport. So I got to mention that a couple of times. Um, I'm, I'm going to say a couple more things. So, so married, um, married to your wife for 25 years. Is that correct? Um, uh, 28. 28 years. Sorry about that. I cut you short three. I better give them to you. And you know what? I'll give you three more. So 31. Let's go with that. We'll meet, we'll meet in the middle. Um, Roberta is her name. And then also Michaela is your 25-year-old daughter. She played basketball for Air Force as well, which is kind of cool. And then I got to say this because this is fun for me. So we went through like where you were born to where you live now. And you've, you've lived a few places. So born in Chicago. Chicago, Atlanta, Ohio, Chicago, South Carolina, Ohio, Cali, Ohio, Houston, Denver. Did I get that right? Yeah, gosh. <laughs> right, man. All over the place from the from the north to the east to the west to the south. So, um, Terry, grateful to have you with me. I, I'm really excited for the audience to hear your message. I've heard a little snippet of it and I've read a little bit about it. And I just, I love what you're doing. And, and I, you know, I, I just pray that people will be able to connect with you because if like me, as I've gotten to know you in the little teeny bit that I have, I can tell you're a guy that really is trying hard to just let people know how awesome they really are. Look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself how good you are and let's do this. So Terry, that said, let's get into your story. Well, thanks, Mike. I, I appreciate you having me on. It's 
it's people like you that give people like me a forum. And I think between the two of us, our conversation tonight is going to help some people. At least, at least that's my hope. So, uh, yeah, my story. So, uh, in terms of my professional life, as you said, I went to college at the Citadel. And when I graduated, I moved home to find my first job. I'm, I'm really going to date myself now. This is long before the internet was available. So, you know, I, I moved home and I was lucky. I found my very first job out of college was in the, uh, the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the All right. international hamburger chain. Um, that was the good news. The bad news is that I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Um, in terms of my professional career, I was a marketing executive. I was a hospital administrator. Uh, I've been a police officer. And while I was a police officer, I was an undercover narcotics investigator and a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Um, I was also a school security consultant, a high school basketball coach. Last year, I became an author for the first time. But for the last nine years, I've really been what I call a, a cancer warrior. I've been dealing with a very rare form of melanoma that uh, appeared on the bottom of my foot. And that started me, that was 2012. And that started me down this nine year journey of really learning about myself, learning how much uh, I could really do, despite the fact that I've had several amputations and things like that. Now, now remind me, one of your amputations is your leg, correct? Is that the same leg where you found the cancer? Yeah. So first it was my foot. Um, So I, I, it's 2012, 2000, I was on a drug uh, that gave me basically flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week. And I took this weekly injection for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years, just to keep the disease at bay. It was not a cure. It was not something that was going to cure me. It was, as my oncologist used to say, we're going to try to kick the can down the road. And, and that's exactly what they did. When the disease, when the drug was stopped and the disease came back in 2017, mm. eventually January of 2018, my left foot was amputated because of the cancer. 2019 came back again in my shin, two more surgeries. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin oh. bone. And uh, I, further testing found that my entire lower leg was full of cancer. So last year during the pandemic, uh, my wife dropped me off at the hospital to have my leg amputated above the knee. Yeah. Dropped you off. Couldn't even go in to be with you. That that's, I'm, I imagine that was super painful. Yeah. I remember saying, you know, what should I do? And I'm like, just go out in the parking lot and pray. You know, yeah. that's really all you can do at this point. And you know, the doctor will call you when it's over. It, it was you know, I mean, I've had numerous surgeries in my life, but it was just very scary to be the only surgery that day. They had to get permission, you know, because it was during COVID and they weren't doing surgeries, but my leg was broken, you know, and it wasn't going to heal. So they needed to take it off. And it was just a very scary situation, but I had a great doctor and uh, he only kept him in the hospital for tw- or 48 hours, no which I should have been in for a week, but he's like, 48 hours, you're in, you're out. We're going to get you home. Good luck. Yeah, oh, man. So, okay. I got, I got a question about the melanoma too, because melanoma most often appears. I mean, it can be all throughout the body, but most often it appears with skin cancer. So did, did it start as skin cancer and then go from there? No. So that you're right. There, there is the melanoma that we all think of as, you know, a, a dark spot on our skin from sun damage or whatever the reason there's a rarer form of melanoma, which I have, which appears on the bottom of your feet or the palms of your hands, wow. and also in the nail beds. Although, from what I understand, they're about ready to classify the nail bed melanoma as its own set separate form of melanoma. And then there's an even rarer form of melanoma that appears in your mucous membrane, so in oh. your nose or your mouth or something like that. So yeah, that, that, you know, when I went to my podiatrist, who was a friend of mine, and and he told me, Terry, he took a cyst out. Uh, with uh, out of a callus on the bottom of my foot. And two weeks later, he calls me and said, Terry, I've been practicing for 25 years. I've never seen this form of cancer. You talk about scared. Yeah. I was, I was pretty much petrified. No kidding. And you found, so you learned that nine years ago. 2012. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, man. Well, Terry, God bless you. And, and I just, I wish you the best as you continue to, to go throughout your journey with that. Um, now I do want to pause real quick and talk about your book for just a second, because I think that's going to be a good gateway into you kind of sharing your purpose and why you got into that and really, you know, more of your story. Um, so you're an author and it, and it came out this last year. Is that correct? Was it 2020 or actually beginning yep. of this year? Okay. 2020. So- Okay. And the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. So cool. So why? How did you, how did you get here? So really the book was born out of two conversations that I had. One was with a former player that I coached who had moved to Colorado. And my wife and I had dinner with her and her boyfriend. And I said to her one night, said, you know, I'm excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while and she kind of looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason that God put you on the face of this earth and then living that purpose. So that was one conversation. Another conversation was with a young man in college who connected with me on LinkedIn And he wanted to know what I thought were the most important things he should learn to not only be successful in business or his job, but in life. And I I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, help others kind of stuff. Not that those aren't important. They are, but I thought they'd already been done. So I wanted to try to give him something that maybe resonated deeper, maybe in his soul. And so I, I spent some time and I wrote notes and eventually I came up with these 10 principles, these 10 thoughts, and I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, well, you know, I've got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. And so literally I had my leg amputated in April of 2020, started chemotherapy in June of 2020 for the tumors in my lungs. And during that three month period that I was healing, I literally sat down at the computer with those 10 principles and started to build stories underneath each one of them. And that's pretty much how the book was, you know, came about. And then, you know, once it it came out, I was in this, you know, I got to sell books. I got to sell books. I got to sell books. And <laughs> I, I, I had a best-selling author that I'd connected with over in the UK. And he, he, he kind of pulled me aside on the internet and he was like, no, 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 Terry, you're missing the boat. Your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. Yeah. If you help people, your book will sell itself. And I was so glad that he said that, you know, it was like, uh, you're right. I didn't write this book to get famous or to make money or to do anything like that. I wrote it to try to help people. And he kind of put it in perspective for me, like just help people. The book will deal with itself. That's amazing. Like I I read a lot of stuff from Maya Angelou. I love her. And she talks about how you don't remember the words people say all the time, but you remember how they made you feel. Right. And, And I think that what that author's saying is so true because it's like, if I come to hear Terry Tucker or we meet and you lift me up, you say something that it ignites a fire, a spark within me. Unfortunately, this world gets us distracted and busy. And if we don't write things down, we forget. But if I've got a, I've got a book that I know about that you wrote, I can now, I can now purchase that book and I have it to hold on to and to get me back to that feeling and to add to that feeling. I can find that reconnection anytime I pick up that book, which is that, that is a really cool thing that guy told you. Oh, I was so good. I mean, it was like being hit in the face. I was <laughs> kind of being slapped in the face. I'm like, thanks. I needed that. Yeah. You know? So, so instead of light bulb moment for you, it was more like brick wall moment, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, so, so Terry, it sounds like God slowed you down enough to get you to sit down and write this book by um, allowing you to lose leg. And that's not very fair, but at the same time, it's like, Hey, you know, I guess you took a huge trial and you did something very productive with that trial and, and go, go, are we ready to go to that space yet? And kind of talk about your feelings around losing your leg. Like what was, what was that like? Was that, was that just a super hard thing for you? What, where were you at that moment? Nah, it's a piece of cake. No, not, not really. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for, for me. Yeah. You make, thank you for making fun of me. Cause that's true. I asked that question. I'm like, that's a terrible question. No, it was, it's funny. Cause I, I had a nurse ask me that she said, you know, what was it like to, to lose your, your foot and, and then to lose your leg. And, and I told her, I said, you know, don't get me wrong. It was, it was not easy. It hasn't, it has not been easy, but 
I am so much more than the sum of my parts. Love it. And you and I were talking before the show about, you know, Jim Valvano and, and North Carolina State and, and, you know, how he won the ESPY award in 1983. And, and I listened to his speech. I listened to him talk about how cancer could take all his faculties, but he couldn't touch his heart. It couldn't yeah. touch his mind. It couldn't touch his soul. Well, in 1993, I didn't understand that. I do understand that now because yeah. I realized that this is just, this is just a facade. This is just window dressing. This is, this is not who I am. This houses who I am. And, and, and I always try to keep that in perspective that you, you can cut off any, you can take anything you want. That's not who I am. And I, you know, I, I go back to my days in law enforcement where there were people I knew who were cops for 35 years because their identity was tied to that gun and that badge. And they, and they couldn't, they couldn't separate who they were from what they were. Yeah. And, and and that was such a difficult and I looked at them and I'm like, you should have retired, you know, 10 years ago, but you can't because you have nothing outside that I, I was always more than a policeman. I was always more than a basketball coach. And, and that was that was important to me, you know, that I, I was put here to do things and I was glad that I did them. And now it's OK as I'm coming to the end of my life, as I as I know I am, it's OK to die. It's OK to go. It's not. For me, it's not scary because I found my purpose. Like I told my player, I found my purpose in life and I lived it. So it's it's okay to go. There's a there's an old uh, Native American Blackfoot proverb that goes, "When you were born, the world cried, or you cried, and the world rejoiced." Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. Oh, that's that what is, I want. Oof, that is that's good. what I want. I want to rejoice when I die. I love it. And so Terry, like I've noticed with you too, is, is I've of course spent some time kind of studying who you are and learning a little bit about your message. You've done umpteen number of podcasts to this point. You've done a lot of video messages and I'm like, oh gosh, what am I going to do? That's different. Right. But you know, everybody's got a different story, but, but I, there's, there's a reason I, and first thing I thought when I saw all these podcasts that you've done on your website, I thought, this man's on a mission. This man's trying to do something really good in the world. And also he's trying to live, live, live a, or excuse me, leave a legacy for not only your daughter and, and maybe your wife, but, but just anybody that you've ever met along the way. And maybe some that don't know you that that spark can be reconnected because they hear your voice again, or because they hear this guy's voice who had been through so much and and who has so much gratitude for life and isn't afraid of death because they left it out on the floor, right? I think in basketball, right? When you learn and you have a phenomenal coach, it's like, hey, look, you may not be the most talented guy on the floor, but what matters, what's going to make all the difference is when you are out there for whatever time you're out there for, if you leave it all on the court, then you will be happy, win or lose. If you don't, then you're going to have regrets, and there's no way to buy happiness through regrets. You cannot, you cannot fill your life with whatever enough to get rid of actual regret. And you know, you know the kind of life you've lived. So, okay, let's go back to like, how did you get to this point that when you when you actually got cancer and you went in and you had your leg removed? You were ready to write a book. I mean, tell me the story leading up to this. Like what has transpired in your life, Terry, that has gotten you to the point where you're like, I'm focused on, I just want to lift others up. You know, I, I think you, you know, my, my purpose, I always felt all along. My, my grandfather was a, a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he okay. was in Chicago as a cop during prohibition, yeah. during the great depression during the, you know, Al Capone and the gangs and all that mm. kind of stuff. I didn't really know him. He, he died when I was like seven years old, but mm. his wife, my grandmother lived until I was in college. So I got to hear a lot of the, the stories sort of vicariously through her uh, about his exploits. And my passion was always to be in law enforcement, but he was also shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury. It was, he was shot in the ankle, taking a murder suspect back to to the lockup. And, but my dad always remembered the stories of my grand, that my grandmother told about the knock on the door of Mr. Sucker, grab your son, your husband's been shot, come with us. And he was having none of that. You're, you know, my dad had my whole life planned out. You know, you're going to go to college, you're going to major in business, you're going to get a job in business, you're going to get married, have 2.4 kids, live in a house. <laughs> you know, he had, he had it all planned out. Yeah. And that was what my dad wanted for me. 
That's not what I wanted. That's not why I believe God put me here. And so I, you know, my first two jobs out of college were in business because my dad was sick. He was dying of cancer. I didn't want to upset him. I mean, what he did for me, he did out of love. It wasn't because, you know, of any, any ulterior motive that was negative, but I wanted to make sure that I lived my life. So I became a cop, you know, I was a rookie policeman at 37 years old, which by all accounts is pretty old to be getting into that kind of job. But now my purpose is to put as much love, as much goodness, as much positivity, as much peace as I can back into the world. And one of the things I learned when I was a hostage negotiator was, you know, as a policeman, most of the time we were face to face with somebody. We got called for something or, you know, we did a traffic stop and, and you know, you're there, I'm there. We're, and so I can look at things. I can look at visual clues. You know, you start balling up your fists. Maybe you want to fight me. You know, you start looking around. Maybe you're going to run. And I can mitigate that by sitting you down, handcuffing you, putting whatever is appropriate for why I'm there. But when we were negotiating, we, that person wasn't there with us. So we had to figure out what was going on based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying, and how they were saying it. And there were a lot of times we went down a rabbit hole, you know, and the person would be like, no, you idiot, that's not what I'm talking about. And it's like, okay. But like any good relationship, one of the most important factors was trust. Yeah. And so we never lied to people. People would say to us, I'll put the gun down and I'll come out, but you got to promise me I won't go to jail. It was like, can't do I'm that. sorry. Yeah, I can't promise you that. And you would try to deflect that, you know, like, yes, when you come out, you're going to jail, but let's talk about this over here and get them off that subject. So trust was very important, but learning to listen and not listen to respond, but listen to understand. And, and that was a huge thing that I learned as a negotiator. And, you know, in society today, we're just screaming at each other and we're not getting anywhere. Can you imagine if we just were quiet for a minute? And it's like, okay, Mike, I want to, I want to hear what you're saying, but I also want to be able to understand it. Can you imagine what we could do as a, as a society, as a country, as a, as a world, we could do so much if we would just shut up and let the other person be quiet or let them talk and understand where they were coming from. I love it. God, that's good. It, it's, it's interesting how, uh, you don't really learn the power of listening until you get a little experience under your belt. For me, it, it took a long time and I'm still not there. Terry, I've got, I've gone 40 years. I'm probably like a quarter there. So I've got another, God's going to leave me on the surf for a long time, I think, because I've got to get that lesson. So, um, but it, I, I try and, I try and tell my kids like, guys, if you want to, if you want to be somebody who like really learns and, and you're able to understand people and things, you've got to listen. Like you got to ask great questions and you got to just step back and listen. And you're, I love how you put it. Don't listen to respond, listen to understand. As you said that, I'm like, oh crap, I need to empty the thoughts of my brain. And I need to like, I don't know what to ask next, next. Right. But I guess God, it just flows at that point. And Wow. Well said. I, I do want to go back to one thing that you said that, that kind of stands out to me. Um, there shame is, I hate shame, but it's, it's so prevalent in the world that we live in. Um, I mean, suicide rates are, are high around the country and, and it's not because of a pandemic. It's that, that causes us to slow down and really like live within our minds and our hearts a lot. And, and there's a lot of pain there for some people. And, and I, I feel bad for that. Um, but you, t you talked about something that, that can cause a lot of shame throughout people's lives. And, and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't think your parents did anything wrong. I think, I think parents having expectations for their kids is not a bad thing, depending on how you share that with your kids or how you use that in your behavior towards your kids, if you will. Um, but tell me, tell me real quick, because Terry, it sounds to me like your dad did have expectations. Your mom did too. Of course, they want you to be successful. Um, 2.4 kids. I don't know how you pull that off. That's, that's pretty crazy. But anyway, um, but you, you found in your life, this space where you said, you know, that's what people want for me. And, and I, I don't want to, like, I want to please, like 
you want to please people, but like, that's not your focus. That's not your priority. And doing what you want to do will please those people when you find that thing to do and you do it. How did you break away from the expectations of others to stop and to recognize you needed to find what you wanted in life? And how did, how did you find that? If you will, that's the secret of life, right? How did you find that? What did you do? So I'm trying to decide how I should answer this. I, I, I don't, I don't think I found it. I think it found me ah. to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I always say I, I did what every good son did. I waited till my dad died and then I pursued my dreams, you know, and, and that's sort of a joke, but, but in all honesty, that was really the way it happened. I didn't want to upset him. He was sick. He was dying and I didn't want to upset him. So I did what I didn't want to do for him. And then once he was gone, I fulfilled my dreams. And I, I still remember to this day, we were living in Santa Barbara, California. And, you know, my wife had married me when I was a suit and tie, you know, eight to five, Monday through Friday hospital administrator. And, and here comes this little advertisement, this little magazine in the mail from Santa Barbara City College that I just happened to leave. I never leave through this, like never, ever. But this one day I leave through it and it's like, Oh, here's a class you can take. And if you take and successfully complete it, you can apply to different law enforcement agencies in the state to be a reserve police officer. So, you know, one night at dinner, it's like, hey, hon, let's talk, you know, and it was I'd like to do this. And my wife used to always say, and, and I, I did, I took the class, I got on with Santa Barbara PD. And my wife used to say you would work all week at your regular job. I was a customer service manager for an academic publishing company. And then on Friday, I would come home, I would put on my uniform, I would go to roll call, and I'd work all night. And she said, you would come home Saturday morning, exhausted, but with this huge grin on your face. And she's like, I knew that's what you were supposed to do. And, and then when we moved to Cincinnati, I, I did it full time, I, I went through the police academy, and, and I did it full time. So I, I think it found me. And, yeah. and but I also think, I was open enough to it to let it be to let myself find it, you know, or to let it find me because there's a lot of people at 37 like, are you kidding? I, there's no way I would go be, you know, go through the police academy and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. But it was just a passion for me. It was just a calling. And, and I always say this to young people, especially if there's a passion in your heart, if there's something burning in your soul that you want to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Because when you get to the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by that time, it's going to be too late to go back and do them. Oh, man, my heart's on fire, Terry. I got to end this podcast so I can go out and do that thing that I want to do. No, that's good. That's so good. That's a, what a, what a nugget there. Um, yes. And, and so you, you, you kind of, again, you kind of go back to this space of you're like, it found me. What, what would you say you did in that moment where it found you? I mean, I, I don't know. Can you define that? What were you doing things? Were you kind of giving yourself time? No. Like, was it just. Things? I, I think you just have to approach life with an open heart. There you go. You know, and, and, and I, and I believe at that point I had that, I, you know, I had a, a subsequent conversation with the player that I talked about that was sort of the impetus for one of the stories, you know, for the book. And you know, she was talking about, well, how will I know? And it's like, you just got to be open to it. You just yeah. got to have your heart open and it, it'll find you, but you, you've got to be open to it because so many people get, and I reminded her of the, of the Colonel Sanders, the Kentucky fried chicken story. I said, you know, Colonel Sanders didn't start that franchise until after he retired. He was in like his mid 60s. Now, I don't know if that was his purpose in life. <laughs> I kind of think it might've been, but can you imagine if at 40, he would have been like, eh, no, I'm good where I am. I'm, you know, I'm tired. I'm not going to pursue. I'm not going to be open to anything new. I'm just going to stay stuck where I am. And we all know those people. Those yeah. people are already dead. They just haven't fallen over yet. Because yeah. if you're not growing, then you're dying. Man. And so, you know, you've got to be continuing to do things to challenge yourself and keep moving forward. And, you know, I always talk about pain. Pain, it, we're all going to experience pain. And it doesn't have to be cancer. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be something as dire as that. It could be you flunk a test at school or you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever it ends up being. We're all going to experience pain. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, that's optional. 
That's what you do with that pain. Are you going to wallow in it? Are you going to feel sorry for yourself? Or are you going to use it to make you stronger, to make you tougher, to make you more determined? And I choose to do the latter, but there's no S on my chest. I do not wear a cape. I mean, I don't have all the answers, but I've learned a lot over these last nine years. And in all honesty, I don't think I'd give up the fact that I've had cancer for nine years. Oh, isn't that beautiful? I, I've, I've been through some tragic things myself. My, my wife and I were in a really bad accident, left me the, with brain injuries, traumatic brain injuries, uh, in a coma for a while. And, you know, I, I tell the story quite often and people say to me, I'm so sorry you went through that. And I say, I'm not. And, and I was an alcoholic before that. And after a divorce and it, it, those things changed everything about my heart. And I'm not sorry for one bit of it. Those are my biggest failures and my biggest mistakes, but I wouldn't change anything about them because they've given me opportunity. They've given me, they've taught me my gifts that God has given me. Just like you said earlier, patience has been the hardest thing for me is like really waiting to like, to work, you know, working hard every day, doing the best you can, but patiently trusting that 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 door is going to open for you to use those gifts. I think that's key. I think that's something that a lot of us do struggle with is we, we can hang on for a second, but then we get impatient. So we try and jump on the next thing that we think is going to provide us with that thing instead of kind of waiting for it to continue to manifest in our lives. What would you say to something like that? If like hearing me say that, what would you say? I'd say most people want life to happen on their time. Life happens on God's time. I love it. So tell me about your faith. Obviously, obviously you're a man of faith. Um, you believe in God. You, you were raised Roman Catholic, like you said. How, how much has faith played a role in your life? It, huge. I, I, you know, I, I remember when I was a little kid, and I, I say a little kid, I, you know, I was six foot five at 13, so I don't think I was ever little. <laughs> Whoa. But, <laughs> but I, I remember when I had knee surgery, and, you know, it, it wasn't like it was today. I mean, you were in the hospital for a week, and it, it was just differently. And I remember I, through a, a combination of, of painkillers that I was receiving and antibiotics and things like that, I started to hallucinate. And I remember one night, my, you know, I, it was like three o'clock in the morning, and, and you know, I was a 15-year-old kid. I, I was a child still, in all honesty. And I had these hallucinations and I was so scared. I called home and my mother's like, there's a rosary in the nightstand drawer, pull it out and start saying it. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, mom, way to go. You got the rosary. Okay, good. You know? And I mean, just when I had knee surgery, we would, we would go to, there was a, there's a saint in the Roman Catholic church, St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, who was a nun at Columbus hospital in Chicago. And we would go to her shrine and we would pray and, I funny story is she also has a shrine here in Denver that she was here, you know, starting a group of nuns. So, I mean, that through high school was that when I was in college at the Citadel, when I was a senior, I was the, the president of uh, the Citadel Religious Council. And it nice. was a, an interdenominational group of, of all different religions. And its sole purpose was to basically kind of goes back to, you know, listen to understand, to to understand the other faiths, you know, if, if you're Mormon, what does that mean? If you're yeah. Jewish, what does that mean? If you're, you know, Muslim, what does that mean? And not hate you, be, you know, I mean, the Citadel was kind Come of the together. Bible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I literally remember being in Greenville, you know, playing Furman and going to get a toothbrush at Walgreens and some guy on the park on the bus bench, you know, you know, you will burn. And yeah, I'm probably going to burn. I got, I got you there, buddy, <laughs> but I just need a toothbrush. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I mean, but religion was important to me. And, and, and I've, I've stayed with it. And even when, you know, my dad was suffering and people said, you know, well, you got cancer. And, you know, a couple of summers ago, I had all 88 genes that doctors either know or suspect cause all different forms of cancer tested. I have no mutations in any of those genes, yet I still have this form of this very rare form of melanoma. And people are like, well, don't you blame God? And I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning. It was like Tuesday, things to do. Terry Tucker, cancer. I don't think God did that. God didn't give me cancer, but God gives me the strength to deal with the cancer. I I almost wonder too, Terry, if maybe it's a gift that was given to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's faith has just been important to me. I mean, I, I have failed miserably, you know, as, as a human being, but I just, I think of, 
you know, a God that made me in his image and likeness, who knew all the dumb, stupid, crazy, sinful things that I was going to do in my life and still loved me enough to put me on this world to try to make a difference in his world. And, and uh, outsider looking in, look at what you're doing. I mean, I, I don't care how many times you've failed in your life. I don't care what those things are. You are literally trying to put light, truth, love, and joy out in the atmosphere. And I, I mean, Heavenly Father's got to be smiling, right? Like, I hope so. Yeah. Well, I, man, I, I know so because I, that's what the scriptures tell me. And I trust that a thousand percent, but I love what you said too, about as you were at the Citadel, right. And in, in religion, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're from um, or what you believe. Cause everything like truth is truth is truth. And when we find the truth that sets us free, like Christ told us, but when we believe something, we should be able to unite with anybody else that believes anything else because there's commonalities in truth. And, and instead we, we stand our ground, we fight. And it's like, we stand up for this idea that no, this faith has to be the one that's believed in, or you're not going to make it. And it, there's no room for that. Like use it to bring people in, right. And, and go to people seeking them connect. It's all about connection. Enough of that. I'll get off my soapbox now. No, you're right. <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and, and you know, I, I, we talked a little bit before the show about, you know, what has sustained me through cancer. And I talk about the three F's, faith, family, and friends. Yeah. And, and those things really have, those things are important to me. And, and I will, you know, I, I mean, there were certainly friends that I thought were my friends when I got cancer that were like, mm, no, I'm going over here. And then there were always the people, and and I've done this, and and I, I, I talk about it in the book, and and I, I'm mad at myself for doing it. You know, how many times have you heard somebody say, "Well, you know, you're going to the hospital, even if you're going to the hospital, you know, I'm going to have a ba- we're going to have a baby." You know, it's like, well, hey, if you need anything, give me a call. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to go have my leg cut off, and you want me to come up with something for you to do? <laughs> I got you know, it. I mean. Yeah. I mean, the, the garbage needs to go out. The dog needs to be walked. The grocery shopping needs to be done. The garbage, you know, the grass needs to be done. Whatever. All that stuff needs to be done at your house needs to be done at my house too, but I don't have time to think about it. It's sort of like sitting on the sidelines and trying to convince yourself that you're playing in the game. Mm. You're, you're really not, you know, so get involved. Get, I, I remember after I had my first surgery, I, I, I'd been, I didn't have to stay in the hospital. I, I get home, my cell phone rings. It's my 93-year-old friend. He's like, Terry, I know you just got home. Can I just stop by for 10 minutes? His name is Bud. I said, sure, Bud, come on over. And Bud was in World War II. And and literally within 15 minutes, here's my 93-year-old friend standing in our living room with a fully cooked chicken and a pan of cream cheese Danish. He's like, here, you got food for dinner tonight and breakfast, you know, food for breakfast in the morning. He didn't ask what I needed. He He just just went out and got involved in my life. He just showed up? Yeah, he showed up. He played in the game. He yes. didn't sit on the sidelines and pretend he was. Oh, that's so good. Gosh, it's, like I'm thinking this is like a basketball analogy. You don't go into the game and you're like, well, coach has got to tell me what to do to do it. You, like you get the training, you get the you get the idea, you get the gist of it. You get put in the game and you go. You go and you go to work. You play in the game. And honestly, what you're saying, Terry, is – you know, I've gotten those texts. I've been the one that sent those texts of like, Oh, Hey, you know, I know you're having a baby. We want to get on the dinner roll. Can you make sure that we do like, yeah, put that on them. That's terrible. Come on. And it's right. Like so dumb. Like, Hey, you're going through a hard thing, but I need you to like reach out to me when you're ready for me to come serve you. Like, like that doesn't, that doesn't help. So it's the awkwardness of like, okay, I know I can do something for him. What do I do? Just show up. And maybe grab some donuts or something, but show up and I guarantee you, you'll see a lawn that needs to be mowed or bushes that need to be trimmed or whatever it is, right? Show up, be the person that shows up. Exactly. Thank you. That, that was awesome. Faith, family, friends, right? Yes, sir. And, and that's, man, I, like we, we talked about that before, but that's a huge part of my life too. And, and I've, I've mentioned to you, there's, there's key principles that people who tell their stories, these things come out. Faith is a huge one. No matter what you believe, faith is huge. Family and friends, it's your team. 
You've got to show up for your team. And when you show up for your team, the same thing happens to you tenfold. Show up. Yeah, I always tell a story when I when I found out I had tumors in my lungs, the doctor wanted to do chemotherapy. And I was like, eh, you know, I, I don't think so. I, I just, I, you know, I was like this, I've been out of this for eight years. I just don't think I want to do it, but I'll go home and talk to my family. So I go home and my wife and daughter, it's the three of us. We've got a big family. And, you know, my, my daughter immediately, we've got to have a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us, you know, we're <laughs> a family meeting. So we have this meeting and I get outvoted two to one to have chemotherapy. And I was like, Wait a minute. <laughs> so I end up having chemotherapy because, and, and I think this is such a good story. When I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And we would look at that photograph as we were learning defensive techniques to hopefully save our lives when we were out on the street. Because he reasoned, you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So he wanted you to realize that at three o'clock in the morning, when you get sent on a drunk run and that mm. drunk pulls out a knife, that there's a husband or a wife, there's a, there's kids, there's a mom or a dad, there's somebody at I home, there's them. something bigger than you. It's just not about you. And, and I think that's another big part of it. If you attach yourself to something that's bigger than yourself, it's kind of like being part of a team. You know, you don't want to let the team down. And what's the biggest team sport we all play? Life, the game yeah. of life. Yeah. We don't want to let, or we shouldn't want to leave, let other people down. God, that's good. Terry, good stuff. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about your book a little bit, if that's okay. Sure. Um, can you, I, I don't know if you want to go through real quick the, the whole, all the 10 um, principles, but maybe, maybe pick like a couple, maybe two or three and, and just expound on those for a second, if you will, like maybe a couple that have meant a lot to you recently. Yeah, people always ask me like what my favorite is. And I, I don't really have a favorite and they're not in any particular order. You know, two is not more important than eight by any <laughs> means, you know, but, but number two is kind of the one that I like the most because it's the thing that I've probably violated the most times. Sure. It's, this. <laughs> it's that most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. Mm. And, and I think that's such a powerful thing that how many times have you wanted to do something and it scared you or you were, oh, you know, what are people going to say? Are they going to laugh at me? Are they going to do, you know, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. You know, your brain likes the status quo. It doesn't want things to change. But the only way you're going to grow is to step out of that status quo, to do things that scare you. And so, I've done that. I was like, you know, I want to do it. No, I'm scared. So I'm not going to do it. And if people could just get past themselves, I mean, let's face it, we're our own worst enemies. If we could just get out of our way, we could be so much more than we already are. You know, that, that, that's, that's one of my favorite ones. I, I mean, the listening one that I, that I told you about before listening and understand as opposed to listening to respond. And then I think the last one is about love. I, I, I was a big fan of a, basketball coach by the name of John Wooden. Oh uh, gosh. Yeah. At UCLA. And I remember listening to an interview and, you know, at the time his teams were just dominant, you know, I mean, they were winning like seven national championships in a row. You're lucky if you can win two today, you know, I mean, it's just <laughs> so much parody, but yeah. I remember him talking to, he was being interviewed by a sports uh, reporter and he asked me, it's like, you know, what do you think is the most important thing people need to learn? And I, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, you know, come on, give me something good. Offense, it's, defense. He's like, it's the he's crossover. Like, it's the yeah, crossover. Give me something good, something I can use. And he's Left like, hand dribble all the time. What he said was, he said, the thing people have to remember is that love is the most important word in any language. And I'm like, what? What? You know, and I didn't get that when I was a kid. I get that today. You know, and and I, I I'm like, here's this great tactician and he knows what's important in life. It's it's not basketball. It's not championships. It's not trophies. It's love. It's it's what can we do for each other? How can I help you? And you think about the number of of athletes that he he inspired. And, and I think back to, you know, I had Coach K at Duke sit on my couch when I was in high school and say, come play for me at, at West Point. And, and I was dumb enough to say no. So now I'm sure your listeners will turn you off and not, not believe in other No, that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to put that on there. Guys, meet the guy that said no to Coach K. Right. <laughs> like, what an idiot he is. <laughs> no. 
wasn't you know, meant but to that's, be. Think of those people. Think of the lives that you've touched. You know, it's kind of like throwing the stone in the water, you know, the ripple effect, you know, yeah. your life touches all these people who you never know, you know, and, and I, I remember that I had a nurse, a lot of my stories are about nurses, because that's mostly who I deal with these <laughs> days. But I, I had a nurse who told me, I, I, she took care of me very early on in my treatment. And, and I, she's very young. And a couple months later, she was taking care of me. And she said, I got a story to tell you. I'm like, okay, but I don't want to tell you right now. And she came back a little later. And she said, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. I, I was going to quit. I'd had a friend that just died. I was in a very dark place. I talked to my mom and dad. I was going to quit nursing. I was going to go to work for Amazon. And then I, I met you and I saw what you go through and I heard your story and I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Now, if she would have never told me that, I would have had no idea that my life had, an, had that kind of a positive impact on her. Yeah. So can you imagine the people that look up to you that looked up to your wife, that look up to your mom and dad, who have no idea. I have no idea these people even know I exist, not alone am I a role model or an idol or whatever you want to call it for those people. So don't think that, you know, I'm a nobody. I guarantee you there's somebody out there that looks up to you and wants to be like you. I love that. And you know, what's interesting, Terry, is this very week, I had an experience where this guy popped into my mind that I knew when I was about 14, 15 years old, I was the kid that mom and mom and dad would drag to church, right? In my Sunday best, I would fight them every step of the way. And then when I'd walk in those doors, I'd try and just act like I was fine to be there. And this guy, his name is Joe Black. He was 90, probably 94 years old. He, his ears were still growing, right? Like, I mean, just the old guy and I'm a 14, 15 year old kid. And so that's kind of awkward because you don't really understand. Right. But every Sunday, it's like he would wait in the lobby specifically for me. His face would have a big old smile on it when he saw me. And he'd walk right up, give me a hug, and he'd say, you just met Joe Black. How do you feel? And we'd, and we'd talk for just a second. I didn't have a lot to say back then, but, but I could feel his love. And that popped in my head. And I looked up his obituary picture, and now I have it saved on my phone. And, and I that made a huge impact on my life. And it was a very simple act once a week took two seconds. Right. So I, I couldn't agree with you more, Terry. And, and, and I just, the mission that you're on right now in your life, um, man, uh, you're doing incredible things. And, and I'm like sitting here with you tonight. I'm like, Terry, I, I'm going to, you're like my mentor now. I'm going to ask you for your phone number. I'm going to send you texts like every other day. Like, how you doing? Talk to me. Tell me something good. Tell me something good about the world today. Light me on fire. But I just, I love, I love the approach. I'm not perfect. I, I, I made a lot of mistakes, but I love people. And like John Wynn said, it's the most important thing. When you recognize that and you realize that you understand how to show up to, with two, four people with compassion to listen, to understand, right? Right. Oh man. Good stuff. Um, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask, are, are, is there anything else in your story that you want to share before we move on to me asking you just a few questions? No, not okay. at all. Go ahead. So I've got one for you. This is, this is kind of out of the ordinary for me. Um, I speak to a lot of youth groups. I do quite a few firesides. A lot of them are with, uh, my religious affiliation with the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I'm speaking to a group of youth this weekend and I had a mother reach out to me and, and um, I've known this, this uh, lady for quite a while. Um, and I am, I'm aware of who her kids are. And she said something to me. She said, um, we went on young women's camp this week and all of these girls, basically like almost all of them, express this faith crisis that they were going through. And to a parent, that's, that's, I think, okay, I'm going to be careful how I say this because I've got my feelings on it. It's kind of different than where I'm going to go with this, but it's kind of scary to a parent, right? Like you, you have certain standards, you have expectations, if you will, that you want your child to live up to, because you know that these things are going to give them the best opportunity for joy for success and to feel God's spirit in their life. Right. So there's fear and, and, and she didn't come at me with fear. She came at me with excitement for what's coming when I come and talk to these kids. 
Um, but I definitely, it definitely came from a place of fear. Like you were talking about just a minute ago. Don't live in fear. What if you had a chance to go stand before a group of 13 to 17 year old women and young men who were going through faith crisis while they were still living at mom and dad's home? What would you say to them? If you don't mind me asking, I know, I know that our faiths are not exact, but very similar. God's God. Amen. Amen. You know, it's funny. You should, you say that because my, my nephew is uh, in the admissions office at my old Catholic high school in Chicago. And the, the school has what's called Kairos retreats and it's, they're all female or all male. And, and, and they talk about things and, and he, he got permission to go to the female one and the male one. And he's, he came back and he told me, he said, you know, he said, Uncle Terry said, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm listening to all these girls and they're talking about how, you know, they don't like their bodies. They think they're ugly. They, you know, they, they have, there's nothing positive going on in their life, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I, I mean, with all the years I was a police officer, I got called some pretty colorful <laughs> names, you know, and, and I, and what I say to young people is, you know, and, and, and this is the internet and, and social media and all that has been the worst thing in the world for kids, especially when it, when it's fake, because all these, you know, I'm going to tell you that you're ugly. I'm going to tell you that over the internet. I'm not going to tell you to your face, <laughs> kick my butt, you know, but you know, I'll tell you over the internet, but it's the same thing in law enforcement. You can call me any name in the book that only hurts me. If I own that, if yeah. I take that in. So why do you care if Mary Sue says you're an idiot or you're dumb or you're ugly? Why would you care if she's and I, and I and I know it's a rhetorical question. I know it as a 60 year old man. I, I know why, because you want your peers to like you and you want to be part of the peer group. And I get all that. But why would you surround yourself with negative people like that? So I'm not answering your question because I'm trying to think of an answer for it. And so no, I'm but, just talking around it. But that's part of it, right? Because there, it's not only about the faith. There's a lot of things intertwined with that. And you're talking, you're very much talking to a teenage mind at that point, what they deal with. You, you are. And, and and I guess I would, I would say that, you know, as a parent, you, you got, you got to, you know, when kids fail, you know, I mean, we talk about the helicopter parents, you know, where kid makes a mistake, oh, you know, I got to get in there. I got to swoop in. I got to, you know, and, and I've done that. I, I, I'm not perfect. I certainly have done that, but I've also been, yeah, you failed. Good. Yes. Because I want, I want you to fail. Mm -hmm. I, and, and that was another, that's another chapter in my book about failing. And especially when you're young, failing often, because only two things can happen from that. One, you or, or trying at least. One, you can win, or two, you can learn. And people are like, no, 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 you win or you lose. It's like, no, you win or you learn. If you don't learn, yes, you lose. But if you want to start a business and you start the business and it fails, as we know, you know, a third of all small businesses fail. Well, did you learn something? Yeah. Yeah. Could you take that? And start another business based on what? Or are you going to be like, oh, my business failed. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm no, you're not a failure. But I would say parents have to let kids make their own faith decisions. You've got to set the example. My parents set the example. You probably set the example. These, this mother has to set the example and then just hope to God or pray to God that he sparks a, you know, a light in her heart that will get her to a faith point. But I also think that sometimes that faith point comes, as you said earlier, when you're at your lowest, yeah. you know, when, when you're, when you're down and you know, it's like, things are scary. And, and certainly as a cop, you, you have a lot of come to Jesus moments, you know, where, <laughs> you know, it's like, whoo, maybe I shouldn't be alive right now if that you had gone another way, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. And so I, I, I don't think there's, I don't really have a good answer for you other than to think that you just got to pray about it and set the example. And hopefully the, the child will find what he or she is supposed to do in, in terms of faith. I think you, I think you said something very, that was a very good answer. Um, you said when, when there's like, when there's failure that you kind of actually get excited, like that almost, 
It's okay. Like my, my initial reaction when I heard this, I read it and I felt the tone of, of negativity and, and, and not that she was being negative, but I felt the, the fear, right? Cause she loves, and, and I understand her heart. She loves these kids and she understands that this is like the best thing for them. But in my heart, when I read it, I thought, congratulations, congratulations that these are young kids and they're coming to terms with something that they're going to at one point or another or multiple times throughout their life. And they're still in your home. They're surrounded by you and they're surrounded by other good people that you know are safe. So congratulations. And, and I, and Terry, I was reading um, a while back, I was reading, you know, I wanted to know what's the number one thing that Christ taught while he was on the earth that was recorded in the scriptures. And it's, do not be afraid. And so that principle that you have, number two, right? Number two, mm-hmm. don't fear. That's it, right? Like, don't be afraid. Like the hard things, the trials, yeah, sometimes they are, they're tragic and they're dark and they're, and, and gosh, I mean, we don't ever want to lose somebody. Like you lost your dad. Would you say you were seven years old? Well, that was my grandfather. I lost oh, my dad sorry. when I was 24. Yeah, I'm sorry. Was was your father? Um, was it cancer? What was your father? Breast cancer. Oh, no kidding. I'm so sorry. That's that's tough. And those kind of things they knock you off your feet for a long time. And the, and and there's just a, a yearning the rest of your life. But that yearning can also be something that's turned into, you know what? Because I love you, I'm going to live the best life that I can, and I'm going to show you every day how much I love you because of what I do with my actions. And the person that I am, and there is nothing that would please your father, my dad, and and I, I believe our heavenly father more than than that. And that becomes something where there's really good energy behind that, right? Um. Anyway, thank you. That I love well, that. Can I, can I add one quick Please, thing? Please. I mean, if five. you think about what this woman who contacted you, in a lot of ways. She was trying to do what my dad was trying to do out of the right intentions. Yes. I, I want to make you this life. Well, I can't make that life. You've got to find that life. You've got to be open to that life. And then when it's there, you've got to take it. And, and, and I, it, all out of the best wishes, all out of the best intentions. But she's trying to live the life for that young lady. You can't. You've got to let them live the life and come to the realization. And hopefully they will. And like you say, they're surrounded by good people, by safe people, by people who are emulating love. I mean, isn't that what God is? That's it. You know, then hopefully she'll learn. And I always say, you know, I've taught my daughter how to live. Now I'm probably teaching her how to die. And that, I think for me, that's, that's a good thing. That's That's a comforting thing. I want her to learn. I want her to learn how to do both because they're both part of life. Do you, do you mind if I ask you, Terry? Have they given you like a time frame or anything? No, my doctor doesn't, you know, and and that's something with my dad. You know, my dad had end stage breast cancer when he was diagnosed. They told him to go home and die He lived for three and a half years. And he lived for three and a half years because he had a purpose. He went to work up until two weeks before he died. And I always remembered that. And, and, you know, my wife is like, you should only do two podcasts a day because you need to rest during these two weeks when you're not on treatment. And so she gets mad at me when I do four or five. You know, and I'm like, but I look at it like these energize me, you know, I'll I'll have plenty of time to rest when I'm dead, I hope, you know, but at at the same time, it's like, these are, this is my purpose now, let me do this. And and it makes me feel good. And so, you know, I I get uplifted by doing this. So it's okay. And you uplift. I mean, I'm, I'm, you're, you're, you're in a way ministering to me tonight and I'm going to walk away a better man because of my, my brief time with you and, and we'll stay connected. You and I, I, I definitely feel a connection to you and you're my kind of people, my friend, you, Thank uh, you sir. yeah, Thank you. You, you're holding up a light and, and, and I just, you know, I'll encourage all the guests too. you know, please pray for Terry Tucker and his family, you know, that, that you'll be able to, to do everything you want to with, with whatever, we never know with whatever time you have left that you'll be able to continue on this journey to just edify and lift people up and help them feel loved, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what I always say. You know, I don't worry about when I'm going to die because you know what, way above my pay grade. So I figure (laughs) I like God take care of that and I'll I'll just do what I'm doing. Yeah. Interesting how that works. Right. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, last question. Um, 
again, uh, you and I talked a bit about, uh, about this before, but the last question I always ask my guests is think back to those darkest moments of your life, those soul stretching. I don't want to be here anymore. Maybe uh, thoughts in your life were just dark and it didn't seem like there was much of a way anywhere for you. What is the gift that you received in that moment that has helped you the rest of your life? And you may not have noticed you got the gift then. You may have found it looking back on it in hindsight, but what is that gift? You know, I, 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 you asked me this before and I gave you an answer and I'm going to change my answer because I'm the guest and that's my prerogative. So um, I, I'm going to tell you a story. And, and I think this will kind of really encapsulate for me and hopefully for your listeners as well. Always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. You know, my mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch Gunsmoke and Wild Wild West and, and things like that. 1993, the movie Tombstone comes yeah. out. And it starred Val Kilmer as John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not just made up characters from the movie. And in this particular scene, the Doc Holliday is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from my house. And the real Doc Holliday died in that sanitarium. He's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Doc was they called him Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but he was pretty much a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt had been a lawman his entire life. So these two men from entirely divergent backgrounds form this very close friendship. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So he comes every day to play cards with Doc. And the two men in this scene are talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, I was in love with my cousin when I was younger, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all I ever wanted. And he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life and get on with living yours. So I, I, I think for me and probably for a lot of your listeners, you know, we're always waiting. We're, we're waiting. If this happens, then I'll have a normal life. If that happens, then I'll be successful. If this happens, then, then whatever. Don't wait. Because there is no successful. There is no normal. There is no better. There is no great. There's just life. Be open to it. Find your purpose. Live it. And when you do that, by the end of your life, you'll be excited to find out whatever's on the other side of this life. Oh, I love it. Don't wait. I, Terry, you're you're a living, breathing example of like putting all your energy and focus into being that right now for yourself. And you're lifting others, others as you do it. <clears throat> Can't thank you enough for, for connecting with me. And thank you for this time with me because, you know, you've sparked something inside of me and, and I'm already somebody who seeks after people like you. Uh, but you've, you've just made my light a little bit brighter and I'm going to make sure I take that. And I remember this message and, and you and I will connect. <clears throat> like I said, I'm going to be the guy that's texting you all the time. Hey, Terry, Hey, what? Are, <laughs> share your thoughts on this. Yeah, no, but, but I, but I mean it. And, and I feel your energy. I feel your love. And, and I know life's, life's not perfect for you. Um, but uh, you are a man that, that is definitely living on purpose. And that purpose is to share love and goodness with people around you and, and, give all the best of what you've learned to them if you can. Um, well, thank you for having me on Like I said, you know, hopefully people listen to our conversation. We're going to make a difference in their lives. Uh, and, and I know your message will. Um, so guys, if, if you're listening to this, I would love for you to reach out. First of all, pray for Terry Tucker and his family. You know, that's, let's throw some prayers your way for sure. I know you'll be in, in my family's prayers and your family will as well. Thank um, you. Terry's website is motivationalcheck.com. And if you would like to get his book, you can actually find it there on the website. And again, that's Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. I really like that. That's awesome. So you can go to, again, motivationalcheck.com. And it's fun because Terry has done a number of podcasts. Uh, some of them are live. And so you'll be able to go to YouTube and watch those and see Terry in person um, and, and, and be able to connect that way, which is always fun to have that visual as well. Um, what else am I forgetting, Terry? Is there any other way that we can connect with you? I know you do speaking events, which you can find out on the website. Yeah, exactly. I, I just want to warn people that my brother tells me I have a face for radio. So what you see on YouTube, just take it with a grain of salt. So. I think I think your brother's insulting you, my friend. We, I need to call this guy. That's whew. 
<laughs> That's great. No, everything, you know, motivational chuckle, pretty much. You can send me a note. You can get to the book. You get to my social media sites and that. So everything's contained there. Awesome. Last thing, do you, do you do virtual events right now? Like let's say somebody in Utah wants to get you maybe their, their corporate company's not opened all the way up yet. Do you do virtual stuff? Absolutely. I'd be more okay. than happy to do virtual stuff. I, I've pretty much been doing podcasts since the pandemic. So I'd be happy to, to hook up with anybody who has an interest. Okay, guys, let's, uh, Let's show up for Terry and his family right now. Cause man, what a great message that we just received from you, my friend. I love you, brother. Thank you. Love that you that was, that was awesome. And, and, and I'm, I'm grateful to know you look forward to the day I, I get to meet you in person and look up to I your six that. foot eight frame and go, man, God, why'd you make me so short? <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to come towards delight the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at come towards delight at gmail.com.